This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus here as we lead off this week's show. Uh, we're finally back off the road, Nate, as uh, I think our wives are happy to see us. Uh, we've had a busy, busy week of uh, covering football camps um, around the country. We were in Los Angeles, Atlanta, out at the Shrine Bowl and Kearney. Uh, we've been at Husker camps, but uh, let's start with Atlanta, Nate. It, it was a really, really interesting uh, event we were a part of, uh, the Rivals.com five-star challenge uh, that took place inside the uh, Georgia Dome there in Atlanta. Um, you know, we've been a part of covering uh, this event now in all five years, and I think both of us agreed, Nate, this was the first time it really had an interest for Nebraska, where, you know, you a lot of years I'd go down to Atlanta and I'd be like, well, it's great, all these players are here, but really none of them are interested in Nebraska. <laughs> you know, this, this was the first time we went down there on the media day Friday, and we actually had like a full day's work or <laughs> worth of work to do down there. Well, yeah, you had, you had, you know, 15 legitimate guys, at least 15 legitimate uh, prospects that were down there in Atlanta that that are interested in Nebraska and the, the thing about it is that a lot of those guys had already visited and um, you know which means that they've already paid out of their own pocket to, to make a trip to Nebraska so that speaks to their level of interest and then you had an, another you know eight to nine guys that have talked that are talking about taking unofficials or lining up official visits so um, you know it was uh, it was very, I think it it, it kind of speaks to the level of the recruiting that's taking place at Nebraska right now is that you've got 15 out of the top 100 guys uh, in the nation that are legitimately interested in Nebraska, one of which was already committed with uh, linebacker Avery Roberts. And then, um, you know, you have, you have double digit guys that are that are legitimately interested. So uh, Nebraska's recruiting at a high level right now. And, and there's certainly an interest uh, in what the Huskers are doing. Well, no surprise receiver seems to be the position where things are maybe going the best for Nebraska. The Huskers already have two four-stars in Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and Javon McQuitty, uh, but three legitimate targets there in Atlanta, two of them were 2017, Jameer Calvin and Tyjon Lindsey. Um, let's first start with Tyjon Lindsey. He's coming to Lincoln, Nate, uh, June 24th um, for the, uh, Big Red, the Big Red weekend and potentially the Friday Night Lights event, but he announced that to us in Atlanta, and I think – that caught some of our Ohio State brethren a little bit by surprise, including a uh, receivers coach there by the name of Zach Smith, who we'll get into that next. But your thoughts on Tyjon Lindsey and it, how how legitimate is this for Nebraska right now? Well, I think this is a huge development for Nebraska because Tyjon Lindsey visited for the spring game. Uh, he came out to Calabasas for the, the satellite camp to work out with Coach Williams. And then and now he's coming back to Lincoln on the 24th and, and – I don't think that he would be making these trips if he weren't legitimately interested in Nebraska. Um, he put out his his top nine schools and, and that he's going to be making his decision on August 22nd, literally an hour after that satellite camp with Nebraska finished. I don't know if there's a correlation there or not, but I mean, if there is, it's probably a positive that, that he, you know, an hour after working out with Coach Williams for three or four hours, that, that he put out his list and said that he's he's going to be making his decision on August 22nd. Um, and then the fact that, that Nebraska's getting another chance to host him on campus and be around him and, and just kind of, you know, 
have that relationship continue to build, I think is huge. He, he, he calls coach Williams, his brother. He, he, he says he's a mentor and, and considers him like a family member right now. He's not just a, a coach that's recruiting him and that they're, Hey, how's it going? You know, it's, it's uh this is like a, a, a family type of relationship. They, they have deep conversations about stuff other than football. So this is a, a big development for Nebraska. And, and as we saw in Atlanta, this kid is dynamite. He is a big time player. He's a difference maker in every sense of the word. So very, very exciting development here. As we talk five-star challenge here with Nate Klaus, uh, and speaking of a guy, I'm going to go on a limb, Nate, and say this guy does not really have that feel of being a, quote, brother to Tyjon Lindsay, and that's Zach Smith at Ohio State. And <laughs> what, I mean, what, what is this guy doing? I mean, seriously, Zach Smith, you work at Ohio State, you coach for Urban Meyer, you don't need to be on Twitter subtweeting to Keith Williams. And that's not a guy you subtweet at because he's just going to make you look foolish. Why are you doing this, Zach Smith? But thank you if you're a Nebraska fan. This, yeah. this is very interesting. Um, and there's no doubt the kids see this. Yeah, absolutely, they see it, and and when you're when you're in the uh, you know feeling insecure about how things are going, I think with a recruit, uh, this is what Zach Smith does. I guess he he goes out and, and tries to tear down his main competition and, and publicly he, and publicly, <laughs> and, and that's not a very smart move, but um, it helps Nebraska out most out uh, most definitely. So you know he he's sitting there sending out tweets saying that. Uh, you know, take a look at how you're being coached and, and what are you really doing? You're doing some drills, you know, average players doing average drills. And I don't know. I mean, he was just uh, clearly taking shots at Coach Williams um, and, and, and trying to trying to make it seem like Coach Williams, all he does is, is pointless drills. And if you really want to be developed, you need to go to Columbus, Ohio, to Ohio State. But uh, and I think what really happened there is that he's he's kind of exposing himself as as being um, you know, I don't even know. I don't know if I would say an inferior coach, but I think he's there's definitely a level of insecurity going on right now, and and it's because of Tyjon Lindsay, and, and this is a kid that uh, Ohio State felt like they had wrapped up last spring, but then he took the the visit to to Nebraska's spring game, and I think that's really when things kind of started changing for him. So, um, you know, and, and it's continued to kind of slip away a little bit. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that Nebraska is getting the kid. I'm not saying that he's not going to Ohio State. But, but the fact that they're still kind of keeping the game alive mm-hmm. is, is big. Yeah, it is very big. And uh, and there's no doubt that Zach Smith is – is he's got his – Jimmy's rustled over he's this got a, whole deal. Well, he's got a report to the Urban, man. I mean, yeah. he's going into Urban Meyer's office. And what's the latest on Tyjon? Well, he's visiting Nebraska on June 24th, Urban. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that doesn't go over too well uh, when that's Urban's number one receiver on the recruiting board. Yeah, I'm sure that Urban had uh, has had a few choice words uh, to Zach Smith and has told him and made it very clear that he needs to get his stuff together with this uh, with this kid and and go ahead and get this wrapped up as soon as possible because the last thing Urban Meyer wants to do is is lose one of his top guys you know to Nebraska. So. Um, but uh, you have to, if you're Keith Williams, you have to love this because you have clearly gotten under this guy's skin and you're recruiting against the big dogs. You're going, I mean, right now, Ohio State has the number one recruiting class in the country and, and, and they're on a roll right now, but you've, you've gotten under the skin of some of their coaches and you're in position to take away one of their top targets. So uh, everything about that is good. It's amazing that Keith Williams was, had never had a big time job before Nebraska. I mean, it's, and now his phone will ring every December and January uh, for jobs. So as we wrap it up here in this opening segment, Sean Callahan 
and Nate Klaus. Give me some of your other takeaways from Atlanta. Um, I, I want to talk about Trevor Trout, I guess. Let, let's talk mm-hmm. start it with him. Uh, he's a St. Louis defensive tackle, um, underclassman 2018. Uh, but he is really one of a, a group of two St. Louis D tackles, a Kansas City D tackle. Nebraska's already offered for that same year. He kind of headlines it, Nate, and uh, he looked pretty good, I thought, out there uh, as a 2018 guy. No doubt to me will be a key target for Mike Riley and John Perella. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's, I mean, for an underclassman to go out there and go against some of the top senior to be offensive linemen and compete, you know, toe to toe against uh, with some of the other top defensive tackles there, I think he held his own extremely well. Um, and in fact, I think initially he was maybe one of, you know, arguably one of the top looking defensive tackles there. I think the offensive lineman kind of adjusted to, to his style and, and, and kind of figured out a few things uh, later on. But uh, I love the fact that this is a very confident kid. He went down there, competed very well, and he wasn't afraid to get, you know, kind of mix it up a little bit. There were a few times where he got chippy with some of the offensive linemen down there, and, and they didn't really like that. But he's, he's a confident kid, um, and he wasn't afraid to, to mix it up. So uh, this is, there's no doubt this is a position of need, obviously, for Nebraska, and it kind of falls within that 500-mile radius, and, and this is going to be a very key target get for the Huskers going forward, especially in the St. Louis area where it's clear that Nebraska is trying to make a push in that area. And he will be here June 24th as well, the same weekend as Tyjon Lindsey uh, will be in Lincoln. Now, he will just be for Big Red Weekend. It will be his first ever trip to Nebraska. And one other piece of recruiting news to, to cover here in this opening segment, Nate, uh, the Oregon game was announced for a 2.30 kickoff on ABC, um, which was huge for Nebraska. I mean, obviously they won the night game, but uh, they'll be going head-to-head against Alabama, Old Miss at 2.30. That's a CBS game. Uh, but I think that's about the best-case scenario Nebraska could have gotten known, knowing that the night game was already off the table about a month ago. Well, yeah, if that was an 11 o'clock kick, you can pretty much kiss that recruiting weekend goodbye. There's 13 official visitors already lined up for that weekend, and I think – uh, tw- 11 or 12 of them are coming from California. So if that was an 11 o'clock kick, there's no way any of those kids would be able to get into town uh, by by time. And uh, even so, even the, even though it's a 2:30 game, it's still going to be kind of tight. There's going to be some maybe less than ideal travel conditions going on. I think a lot of these guys are going to have to take a red eye flight out of LAX and, and kind of you know make their way to Chicago, Chicago to Omaha, Chicago to Lincoln, whatever. Um, you know, which is you know not always ideal because especially after you get done playing a, a football game on Friday night. So there's going to be some tired guys, but um, I'll tell you, they're all fired up about it, and and I think they're willing to do you know to do the, those travel arrangements. And from talking with these guys in Atlanta and and just you know over the phone over the last few months since they've been lining these trips up, uh, they're all fired up and very excited to get out to Lincoln and experience that that atmosphere. And um, you know, it should be a good one. All right, we got a full show on tap. We're going to bring in Robin Washett in our next segment as we go over our ranking the Big Ten series. Then we're going to talk more about Nebraska's camps. We've seen uh, now a full week of camps. They'll have their second Friday Night Lights camp here this weekend, and along with a Big Red weekend. So we'll give you some thoughts on that. And also an interview uh, with current Los Angeles Rams quarterback Sean Mannion, a former uh, player for Mike Riley and Danny Langstorp at Oregon State. That's all next here this week on the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus and Robin Washett. But 
uh, as we bring Robin back in here to the show for the first time today. Robin uh, has been working on his ranking the Big Ten series with us here and uh, Robin, it's something that we always do every year. It's fun to do just to kind of see, get a gauge of the league, get, get a gauge of who the best players are coming back around the Big Ten. And as you look at this league on paper, what one or two position groups have really jumped out to you um, across the Big Ten? Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the usual suspect positions seem to be a bit down this year. I mean, the quarterback position, you know, obviously you have guys like JT Barrett and uh, maybe even CJ Beathard. But, you know, beyond that, you know, there's really not that, you know, quote unquote Heisman Trophy level quarterback. You could say the same thing at running back. Um, you know, there are a good core of wide receivers, but I think offensively, you know, some of the best players in this conference are on the offensive line, particularly on the interior offensive line with Pat Elfin from Ohio State, Dan Feeney from Indiana, you know, two All-American caliber guys. But uh, outside of that, you know, I think there's still a lot left to be determined of uh, who the best skill position guys are going to be this year. Yeah, the way I look at it, Robin, I think just the reputation of Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer has given the Big Ten a lot of respect in these rankings, preseason like overall polls. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, you look at this league and, and the rankings we've done. Uh, Michigan doesn't have a quarterback. I mean, nope. Ohio State's got the quarterback of the league. Yeah, Ohio State's got a lot of guys on these lists, but that's to be expected. The running back position in this league, there isn't that Ezekiel Elliott right now. Yeah, I mean, right now we had Justin Jackson from Northwestern who – you know, a couple of years ago, I don't know if anybody knew who Justin Jackson was. So that just kind of shows the amount of turnover that's happened in some pretty key positions. It's interesting when you look at receiver. Um, some publications have given Nebraska a lot of respect. Others have said, oh, there." I saw one yesterday. I want to say it was Lindy's. Um, Lindy's Athlon and Sporting News are out right now. And I think Phil Steele might just be coming out as well. But Lindy's had Nebraska's receivers fourth overall in the Big Ten as a group. And yeah, that's not right. I mean, the only group I see that really could rival them is Michigan. I think Michigan has a very mm -hmm. good group of receivers when you, when you put Jake Budd in there at tight end. But Westerkamp and, you know, people forget about Brandon Riley. Nate and I were with Keith Williams this week at camp, and he said that he, he still believes Brandon at his best is their most talented receiver. But the question is, you know, can he – mentally put it all together on the field week to week that's where Westerkamp's a little bit different yeah and can he stay healthy too injuries have hampered him you know throughout his career but I agree I mean not only those two you add in Stanley Morgan who's a freak potential pro in my opinion uh down the road I mean that that trio is as good as any any trio you're going to find in this conference I don't care what anybody else says Michigan like you said is probably the one that has the closest argument but you know even Ohio State uh Penn State had our number one guy with Chris Godwin um but you know still after that I don't think it was Hackenberg. Yeah, though. they don't have nearly the depth at that position that Nebraska does. And uh, Jordan Westerkamp, you know, uh, like you said, some magazines, you know, have him, you know, where he sh belongs, which is first team preseason, uh, all Big Ten. But some don't even have him on the list at all. It, it, that baffles me because from her production standpoint, you're not going to find anybody better than Jordan Westerkamp and what he brings to the table week in, week out. A lot of these magazines are let's give the Big Ten East every spot. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly. I mean, there's this, this notion that the West is far inferior and it's it's not as good of a division no one's saying it is but i don't think nebraska and and some of these teams are, are you know that bad you know no, when, not even close especially you add in seathan carter too you've given michigan jake butt seathan carter could be nebraska's highest drafted player next year if everything goes the way that you know he hopes it does so on offense nebraska had tommy armstrong number three at quarterback Right. Nobody at running back. Nobody at running back. Jordan Westerkamp was the number two wide receiver. Seathan Carter was the number two 
tight end. Yeah, and then uh, behind Jake Butt. Behind Jake Butt, Nick Gates was our number two tackle. Two tackle, and then uh, no guards or centers. That's probably when you look at depth, that might be the best position in the Big Ten right now. The interior. Oh yeah, no doubt. Guard center. No doubt. I mean, the Big Ten has like four or five All Americans on the interior O line. Yeah. So I mean, that that's kind of brings into question. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this here in a minute. But the other side of the ball, you know, Nebraska's concerns on the defensive line. Oh, they're going to be going against some pretty stacked uh, front fives here uh, come Big Ten play. Yeah, you look at Nebraska on the defensive end, the tackle positions, nobody at those spots, nobody at linebacker. Um, and that's the first time I think we've been doing yeah, this a while where has. Nebraska has not had a player in a conference top five at any of the front seven. Yeah, and I know there was a lot of you know people, at least on our message boards, kind of mentioning that, that, wow, I can't believe that Nebraska doesn't have anyone on the front four. But, I mean, that's just kind of the reality with the amount of turnover that they've had on the front four, uh, both at tackle and at ends. You really can't justify putting anybody on Nebraska right now. And obviously that could change. I mean, if Rita McMullendoon has... And he played the full yeah, year last year. Exactly. He had four and a half sacks but in that, non-conference play. It's, and then he didn't do the, anything the rest. Exactly, because of injury so he's a potential guy that could make that list when all said and done inside obviously the day McMullen would have been on there yeah 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 but you know clearly we all know what happened with him so uh there's just too many question marks right now on Nebraska's defensive line to consider any of those guys uh comparable with you know the rest of the Big Ten and uh, to be fair there's some pretty darn good players coming back uh both at defensive tackle and defensive end Sean Callahan and Robin Washett as we talk ranking the Big Ten it's our annual June series we kind of try to mirror with what's out there in the world, these college football preview magazines, everyone's uh, kind of hungry to get an idea of what their teams and who the top players are. And and we've done this since the Big 12 days, and I, I always enjoy kind of learning who, who the players are. Uh, Nebraska's going to see now in the secondary, Robin, Nathan Gary was your number one safety. And I know that that can be met with some debate, but mm. when you look at that list... There's really no one that even has close to Nate's overall accolades returning at that safety position. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to come off as a total homer doing this. And just say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> do the do the, just the oh, he's a good Nebraska guy. Let's make him number one. But then you look at the stats compared to the other guys coming back. I mean, the 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 first team and second team all Big Ten safeties from last year are all gone. So you want to talk about the, a, a clean slate at a position. Uh, Nate Geary, from an experience standpoint, is up there with anybody in this conference. And uh, when you look at the season, I mean, obviously he struggled. There's no doubt about it. He would be the first one that tells you uh, or early on. But I think as the year went on, he got better and better. And I think he's playing some of his best football over the last three or four games. And, you know, Obviously, had a couple of those games cut short with some questionable targeting calls. But, uh, I mean, the guy had, uh, you know, uh, 79 tackles, 49 solo, four picks, uh, seven pass breakups. I mean, I did looked at the stats of each one of the other guys we listed. That's right up there with the best of them. And, and you know, you look, In his sophomore year. Yeah, exactly. And then, so you look at it from a career standpoint. He's got a chance to etch his name in the top 10 in both interceptions and uh, tackles, you know, but when all is said and done and you look at the list of Nebraska defenders, that that is no small feat. So uh, Nate Geary's, you know, history and the fact that he's a returning senior starter, uh, three year starter, uh, I think that it made total sense to make him number one. And I, I feel like that, Ohio, uh, not the Ohio State game, but the Purdue game last year was kind mm-hmm. of a, an eye opener for him. Uh, a lot of videos I remember that week went out about yeah. him showing that he quit or wasn't showing effort on the field and that loss in West Lafayette. And I don't know about you, but that would be an eye opener and a wake up call that people were questioning exactly. uh, my ability. But uh, let's let's keep it moving. Josh Kalu makes it number four. Yeah, 
at corner. Number four overall corner. And, you know, again, that was met with some debate here uh, just because he, too, had his share of struggles last year in coverage. But, uh, again, I think that, you know, when you look at his potential, uh, he's he's up there. And we've seen it. Yeah, I mean, we watched him this spring, and he is far and away Nebraska's number one lockdown cornerback. And I think he is in for an absolutely just dominant year. I think teams are probably going to try and throw away from him as much as possible just because uh, he, he creates so many problems with not only his athleticism, but he is just so long. His arms just go on forever, and he can get up in uh, receivers and knock off routes and just disrupt total timing of passes. And he just got that prototypical frame that Mark Banker loves in his cornerbacks. And that's why I think that, you know, that he, he is absolutely going to thrive in this defense over the next couple of years. And lastly, special teams, Drew Brown, number two kicker, uh, number uh, he, we did it. We did kicker and punter as one, but uh, I guess he's number two kicker in the grouping. But Sam Fultz, your number one overall punter or kicker in the Big Ten. Yeah, Nebraska got two of the top three. So you know all the you know shakeups that we've had compared to previous years. This one kind of remained the same. And um, you know I remember at bowl practice, Sam Fultz and Drew Brown were talking about their goal going into this season was to be the first ever uh, kicker punter duo to win the Lou Groza and the Ray Guy Award in, in the same season. And Hey, I wouldn't completely roll it out. I mean, obviously Drew Brown, you know, he he had a rough start in that BYU game, but came on to have a very productive season. He's currently riding an 11 straight consecutive field goal uh, streak uh, going into to this coming season. Sam Foltz uh, was the the reigning you know Big Ten punter of the year. Uh, so the clearly Nebraska special teams is as good as it's ever been. Uh, and, and Drew Brown is finally filling that potential that everybody knew he had when he committed. And Sam Foltz, you know, what more can you say about him? He he might go down as one of the better punters Nebraska's had. It's the ranking of the Big Ten series. You can find it all on HuskerOnline.com as we have a breakdown of each position. So uh, if you want to get caught up on that, check that out on Husker Online. When we come back here on the show, I caught up with former Oregon State quarterback Sean Mannion, now a quarterback with the Los Angeles Rams. We'll have that interview for you next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show at Nebraska's Satellite Camp here in Los Angeles. And we've got another special guest here joining us, Sean Mannion, former quarterback for Mike Riley at Oregon State, now a quarterback with the Los Angeles Rams. And it's still kind of funny to say that, Sean, uh, that you're no longer in St. Louis. Uh, now you're in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, it's been exciting getting out here. Um, obviously, it's a little bittersweet. You know, we, I really like St. Louis, too. But um, you can tell there's a lot of excitement out here in L.A. Uh, with the with the Rams being back. So. It's a good spot. We're really enjoying it out here, and um, I think the team's done a good job of focusing on football amidst the move and everything. So we're about halfway done with OTAs, and it's been really good so far. Yeah, give us an idea what it's like to move an NFL franchise and, and come back to a city that doesn't really even have a stadium yet for you to play in. You know, it's uh, the team and the NFL and the, the Players Association made it really easy for us. I know the team helped us helped all the players move and get their cars out here and. Um, you know, right now we're, we're, we're kind of an extended stay where the facility's at. So they've really made it really easy. So uh, that's what you want as a player. You know, all you want to do is just go out there and play football. And I think, you know, both the, both the team and the Players Association have helped us where, you know, really you just focus on playing football and the move's somewhat taken care of on its own. We're joined by uh, Sean Mannion here on the Husker Online Show as we're watching Nebraska Satellite Camp. And, Sean, we've seen you a lot in Lincoln over the last year, uh, at least two or three times. I think I've seen you at, at different times up here. What brings you to Lincoln uh, to see Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf? Well, you know, they're, they're really, I'm really close with both Coach Riley and Coach Langs. And, uh, 
you know, I, I think, um, you know, they mean so much to me both on and off the field. You know, as a player, I think they helped me develop so much that, you know, if I get an opportunity to go back to, to Nebraska and work with them for a little bit like I did this past offseason, um, you know, I'm going to jump at the chance. Um, they helped me so much, my development at Oregon State, and if I can continue to grow, you know, while I'm here with the Rams, you know, that's what I want to do by working with them. And I think off the field, too, I'm just, you know, I'm really close with them. And, um, you know, they helped me so much during my time at Oregon State, you know, on and off the field. Any opportunity I get to come see them, um, especially when they're so close, you know, being down in Southern California right now, you know, it's I jump at the chance. Yeah, they've had great luck with guys like yourself, Matt Moore. We actually met him last year at one of these satellite camps, uh, kind of in the same capacity uh, with you watching just your old coaches. But yeah. what, what do they do to kind of develop quarterbacks and have more success than a lot of other programs? Because they they're not recruiting the five-star, fully developed high school guy, but they're turning guys into pros. Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think one thing is um, the system. I think, you know, I think the system really prepares people for the NFL. I know I certainly I know – you know, going into my first season with the Rams, you know, there was a lot of similarity with what we were doing at Oregon State and what they're doing now at, at Nebraska. So I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is they're just such great teachers. You know, really, you know, coaching is teaching, but you're just teaching skills on the field. And I think they do a good job of communicating what they want done. And, um, you know, I think they do a good job of working with players and, and helping them learn the offense and learn the fundamentals that it takes to be successful in it. So I think it's a lot of different things. Um, but really, I think it just comes down to the system and, and how good they are at, at coaching um, the different skills and fundamentals you need to be successful. When you look at what they've done, they did last year, I mean, they, they kind of had to evolve it for Tommy Armstrong because he's not Sean Mannion. He can't do all the things that you could do. Um, but they did have the receivers to, to get it done, but they still had to evolve it. How did they, in your perspective, what do they do like as far as changing the offense the most? Well, you know, I, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten to know Tommy a little bit, and uh, you know, he's certainly very, very talented. I think just, um, you know, and I, I don't want to speak for Coach Riley or, or anybody, but you know, I think it's probably typical to most coaching staffs in their first year. They kind of have to um, be able to blend it with what you know the players on the team are used to from the from the previous staff. So, you know, things like going out of the shotgun. You know, I, I, I was a lot under center, but you can run the same plays from the shotgun, and I think they've done that to kind of um, help Tommy feel more and more comfortable. Um, and like I said, getting to know Tommy, I think he's, you know, the kind of guy, you know, just with more reps and more practice and more time in spring ball and fall camp, I think he'll just get better and better in, in the system. And, um, you know, I, you know, I think it's just with any staff, your first year in, you kind of have to do what you can to, to make, you know, make it similar in ways without compromising what you want to do. Uh, and I think that's what Coach Riley and Langs have done here. And, um, you know, I think it's just little things like maybe a play that we ran, you know, from under center. They can do the same thing, but do it from the shotgun where Tommy might might have had a little bit more experience with that. But, you know, you also want to st stick with what you what, what you know how to do. And I certainly think they've done that scheme wise. I know it's it's a lot of the same stuff they're doing at, at Nebraska as Oregon State. When you're in the shotgun, is it just easier on your footwork? Because obviously under center, you got to do the three or the five step drops. And some guys that have never done that, it's it's an adjustment with their weight and, and kind of making their reads at the same time. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of it just comes to slightly different footwork. Um, but I don't want to make it overblown either. You know, I think it's just a, you're kind of a comfort thing. You know, I think you if you get so many reps at, in the shotgun, um, you're going to get more comfortable with the shotgun footwork if you if you get a lot of reps under center, you're going to be slightly more comfortable with that. So, you know, I think with Tommy, it was probably just, you know, he had gotten a lot of reps in the shotgun over the last couple of seasons. And, um, you know, I, I know now they're kind of teaching him, teaching him more and more about um, the system. So he's more comfortable with both. Um, but I think it's just with any, any coach in your first year, I think sometimes you have to kind of do what you can to make, 
you make uh, make the players comfortable with what they've been getting a lot of reps at in the past. As far as just arm talent, though, when you just look at how strong his arm is and some of the throws he can make across his body and on the run, I mean, what have you seen from Tommy in those aspects? Well, he's certainly certainly very talented. You know, I think, um, you know, I haven't seen too much of him other than just, you know, last year's games and a little bit at practice. But you can tell he has a strong arm. You can tell he can run. Um, you know, you can tell he's very physically talented. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a, that's got to be exciting for the coaches here and, and certainly for the fans as well. Los Angeles Rams quarterback Sean Mannion, our guest here on the Husker Online Show. Give us an idea of kind of where you're at with the Rams right now. I know they, they drafted a, a very good quarterback coming in. I mean, what, what's kind of your mindset going into this first season in Los Angeles? We well, you know all I can do is control, you know, control what I can do. And um, I'm just focused on becoming the best player that I can be and, um, you know, just going out there every day and, and, and improving myself as a player and, and do whatever I can to help the team. So, and, you know, we're, we've, we've been through three OTA practices and uh, I'm really happy with what I've been able to do so far and feel like I've been playing well. So, you know, all I can do is just worry about myself and, and worry about what I can do to, to make myself the best player I can be. And I think I've done that so far. From your perspective, when you look at Nebraska now and, and what these guys have done in a year, how much of an improvement do you think they're going to make in year two? Oh, you know, I think it'll be huge. You know, I think even last year they, they were super, super competitive. You know, they had a couple of tough losses for sure. Um, but, you know, I think the, the way that they finished the year, you know, beating Michigan State and, and, you know, a really nice win in the bowl game, I think, um, you know, I have tremendous confidence in all these coaches, obviously. You know, I've known them, you know, ever since high school when I was being recruited. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been to their practice and I can see, see how much work they're putting in. And I can, you know, I can just tell that, that, that they're going to make a huge jump. And, um, you know, I, I have a ton of confidence in them. And, um, you know, I think I think that it's going to be a great season for him next year. You've got a chance maybe to see a little bit of Tristan Jebbia, their quarterback recruit from Calabasas. He's ranked number one in the state of California. What stands out to you about him as a young developing quarterback right now? He's skinny, he needs to gain weight, but has a lot of talent. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know um, Tristan real well. You know, I uh, I think he was up in Nebraska when I was visiting practice. Uh, you know, last time I was there, but. You know, I think, you know, I was a skinny guy coming out of high school, too. So I think, it, you know, for anyone, you know, coming into, you know, coming into their first year in college, I think it's just committing yourself to developing physically in the weight room and, and mentally, you know, growing in the system. Um, so I think that applies to any any player, but especially a quarterback, I'd say, you know, just keep working on your fundamentals. You know, I, you know, I think, you know, if he works hard, he's going to be great, you know, and I think it's just the commitment to, to getting good at the fundamentals and, and developing yourself physically. You know, that's what I had to do. You know, coming out of high school, was like like I said, I was a skinny guy, but, you know, just just the commitment and working hard, I, I think it'll take care of itself. Now, the culture, though, of high school football in California is different than a lot of states, especially for the quarterbacks. I feel like the quarterbacks here are more prepared, more developed, especially for pro systems than any state in the country. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, I'm from the Bay Area, you know, which is which is northern California, but I, I, I certainly um you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with kind of the the way football has been changing. I think that you know having quarterback coaches has become so much more prominent uh, for high school players. You know, I know for me when I was in high school, my dad was was a high school football coach and he still is. So for me, a lot of it was just a, you know working on you know fundamentals with my dad, you know, or, or, or with my team in you know in the summer um, and in season. But I think now it's changed where kind of camps like this are available. Um, for quarterbacks to work on their, you know, work on their fundamentals and stuff for, you know, the kind of the personal quarterback coach has, has become much more, you know, prominent lately. So I think it's really changed, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's specific to California or across the nation, but I know, um, you know, I think the ability to have these satellite camps or, 
you know, the, the Nike, you know, Elite 11 camps and stuff like that. And I think just the prominence of the personal quarterback coaches um, has really, you know, advanced the position, I think, probably coming out of high school. Well, Sean, it was great catching up with you in California. Hopefully you've been able to have a steak or something good in Nebraska the few times you've been out there. Definitely, definitely. It's been, uh, it's been great. Any, any chance I get to go to Nebraska and you know, visit Coach Riley and Coach Langs, and, um, you know, I, I, I love it there. It's a, it's a really cool atmosphere. I've been to a couple games, been to a spring game, so it's a lot of fun going out to Nebraska, and um, I know they're going to be great next year. Well, thanks again to Sean Mannion joining us here on the Husker Online Show. We'll continue our discussion as we'll talk more about Athletic Director Sean Eichhorst as a very interesting survey from the Silverstone Group in Omaha was released to the media by the university. We'll give our thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washington and Nate Klaus says uh, you just heard from Sean Mannion, former Mike Riley quarterback, uh, now with the Los Angeles Rams. But uh, I wanted to shift our conversation over, guys, to this Silverstone survey that came out. Um, it was a survey that every employee at the University of Nebraska in the athletic department you know, took part in, uh, gave their thoughts just on how things are run, how things are done. And you know, I think – Initially, this was kind of it made a lot of noise when when they put this thing together. Uh, Nebraska paid fifty five thousand dollars to have this survey uh, put together out there um, and, and looked at, you know, with the Silverstone Group, and I, I believe uh, a few of the Nebraska Board of Regent members were very big in making sure this got done. And in some ways, I think Nate, it was looked at as a way to maybe sabotage Sean Eichhorst and show that things weren't going so well and that he's not the right guy for um, the athletic director job and this would show and if the survey came back bad there might be some leadership changes at Nebraska. Well yeah, I think I think that uh, there was some maybe some ulterior ulterior motives there uh, where people wanted to maybe expose you know some bad things that were going on or or uh, try to poke holes in in uh, you know in everything that's happening there in North Stadium but really when the report came back there I don't I mean I don't know if you can read that report and say boy there are some major changes that need to happen in the athletic department I think everything came back fairly positive especially when you're talking about a report where you know so many steps were taken to make sure that this is all confidential that people could express their true feelings and opinions um i think it came back fairly positive yeah i I agree and you know really the only uh, notable criticism was that this the communication wasn't quite as good as it uh maybe could be you know between you know the coaching staffs and and the athletic department and particularly sean eichhorst and and also that uh you know that there there may have been some um kind of uh kind of favoritism shown towards certain programs whereas other coachings and and, and programs sports uh, weren't quite getting the same amount of attention as other sports which you know is kind of to be expected that doesn't surprise me one bit that other sports that you know may or may not make a little bit more money than other sports get a little (laughs) bit more of a priority so uh, all in all I mean really you can't say that this did much of anything to tarnish Sean Icor's image and really kind of do have a negative impact on um, you know his standing and the job that he's doing here in Nebraska And, and let's face it he got in front of this thing they had the report for a few weeks and it's no coincidence that Sean Eichhorst is meeting with Steve Sipple for lunch at Laszlo's yeah. for 90 minutes and, you know, meeting Sam McEwen at a pub for an interview. I mean, he wasn't doing that stuff six months ago. So they got the information out there. 
what what some of the issues were. And the number one issue was he was not available, and he was so I think concerned about maybe slipping up, saying the wrong things in interviews. He kind of wanted the interview sessions to be controlled or written statements, um, you know, things where he would never be put on the spot. And and that's just not realistic at Nebraska. You, you know, you're going to get put on the spot with tough questions, and you've got to be prepared to answer them. And I think he has at least done a better job i mean no idea at nebraska is better at that than bill Byrne. i mean bill Byrne mm-hmm. used to have a radio show where he would cut it up with callers and i think nebraska fans want that you know some lady from 90th row in south stadium would call about a complaint about not getting enough runs up in her seats and he would bill Byrne would make sure that would get fixed i mean so i think the the fans want an ad that is somewhat accessible and, and i think sean i course is at least trying to make an effort nate to to get this uh, corrected well, I think there's a fine line to walk to, too. I mean, you don't want to be um, too out in front and, and taking away, you know, the spotlight from, you know, the, all the other programs in the athletic department, the football program, the volleyball, baseball, basketball, whatever. Uh, so I think that initially Sean Eichhorst didn't want to be taking the spotlight and, and be, you know, kind of creating a, a scene, so to speak. You know, we, we've seen what, what can happen when someone does that. You know, Steve Peterson was not afraid to be in the spotlight light and uh and to take credit for everything and and i think that uh sean eichhorst didn't want to do that but you're right there is a a certain time and place where you need to be accessible and be out in front of the public eye and um and i think we're starting to see eichhorst you know come around in that regard yeah and to his credit i think he has made a better effort to to become more visible to the public i mean i think i remember uh you know there's some comparisons to to him being the man behind the curtain of the wizard oz wizard of oz that that you know everybody knew was there but uh, would never interact with with the common folk and you know I think uh, over the last three years they charted that he's made 526 public appearances uh, most of those with you know athletic events and booster events and uh, but over this past year you know he's made 83 public appearances just you know in, in the last you know five months or six months uh, so far so uh, he is making in my opinion at least a bit bit of a better effort to just interact with the common fan a little bit more than he has you know that that state tour they did a month or so ago with uh, him and Mike Riley visiting different you know cities in the states and making you know public speeches and stuff like that I think the little things like that can go a long way in earning yourself a little bit more uh, leniency and sometimes they don't get that I mean I I talked to Jason Jorgensen Um, he's the longtime sports director at KRVN and Lexington, and that is the biggest radio station outside Omaha and Lincoln. It is a agriculture powerhouse radio station that has been a long time affiliate for Nebraska football. They stopped in there, did an interview in the studio. They went there for 20 minutes, but that 20 minutes made such a big impact oh, yeah. on everybody in that building that Eichhorst and Mike Riley came in the studio, did an interview, shook a few hands, kissed a few babies, and they left. And, you know, that little that type of little thing, I think, goes a long, long way, um, you know, and, and just, you know, winning people over, you know, and Nate, one of the things I still, you know, I, I don't understand when they took away all those in-season coaching speaking events. I, I thought that was a mistake I, of course, made and it, it's going to be that way. But I know the assistant coaches would like to do some more of those in-season events. I think the big thing was they used to get paid for them and and uh, the university wants to monitor their income. Um, where they don't really receive any extra outsourced income during the regular season. 
Yeah, I think that was a big thing uh, for, I mean, it was something that the coaches liked, but I think it was important for the fans because, I mean, let's face it, the fans, they they want to, you know, get an inside look at the program any which way that they can. And those Thursday night speaking events were great because they could go listen to the coach talk about the previous week's game and, and break down some plays and why did this work and why didn't that work and what were they thinking here or there. And, um, and I mean, they absolutely love that stuff. And, um, and then they could preview the, the the next week's upcoming game but you know by taking that away um you know you kind of close down you know that one of those windows where the fans had an opportunity to kind of look into the program and and feel when some of these events were 40 plus years old yeah exactly i mean people had been going to those for forever and uh and you you take that away i think you kind of you close off some fans you 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 rub some people the wrong way and and i think a lot of people were think were wondering hey what's going on what why are they doing this what what's the point of taking these away and and i think uh you know you you sour a few people like the big red breakfast you know that to me was one of a kind to nebraska i mean to have an event that started in the early 70s where hundreds in in some years thousands of nebraska fans would get together for breakfast to listen to the coach talk for 45 minutes at 7 a.m on a friday before football game (laughs) i mean that was awesome like Mm -hmm. tim beck i remember when he came from kansas to nebraska he was just like, wow. I go, what was the Big Red Breakfast like at KU, coach? I joked to them, and he goes, drive through at McDonald's. <laughs> that was the Big Red Breakfast they had. I mean, he said there was no such thing. And so I think some of those things are what make Nebraska special, just the grassroots of it. And, and hopefully they, they get back to recognizing more of that. Well, and, and they, they carried a reputation for it. I mean, I've spoken with a lot of these coaches that, that said, hey, you know, we always heard how great Nebraska was, um, you know, for the for these extra deals, these extra speaking events and and going out and, and being involved with the with the fans and, you know, kind of mingling with them. And um, and also the opportunity to make a little extra money on the side, too. But uh, these these are things that, that coaches, you know, in the coaching circles had, had talked about for a long, long time. And, um, you know, hopefully they revisit it at some point. Yeah, I just, before we break here, I just want to make sure we touch on one more item in that report that noted the five former employees in particular that, quote, some former employees were working to sabotage rather than to support the efforts of the leadership and staff of this department. And uh, in, in the stories that came out, it, it noted that Sean Eichhorst could only chuckle and decline to comment on who those particular employees were. But it doesn't take long to at least identify one of them who was trying to, quote unquote, sabotage uh, what was going on with Sean Eichhorst's efforts. All right. Well, we come back. We'll close the show. We'll, we'll give you a, a breakdown of what's happened at Nebraska's football camps and a preview of what to look for this weekend. You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Now as we shift back over to recruiting, and uh, Nebraska is in the midst of quote-unquote camp month as they held their first Friday Night Lights camp last week. They had a big man's camp on Monday, then a speed and skill camp on Tuesday before having two more Friday Night Light event camps here uh, over the next two weeks, Nate. And uh, as you you look at kind of maybe some of the bigger storylines that have developed in camp, I think far and away, um, Daniel Parker, 
uh, out of Blue Springs, Missouri, getting offered by Nebraska. He's a 2018 defensive tackle. Um, he was at the big man camp. Uh, same high school as Carlos and Khalil Davis was offered. Uh, then Iowa and Missouri come in with offers of this young man um, here on Wednesday. So uh, Nebraska kind of got a head start on Daniel Parker and they pulled the trigger. Yeah, they didn't waste any time in, in offering, and I think that's exactly what you have to do in during camp season. That I think if a kid goes out and impresses you, you need to go ahead and and uh, feel confident in your evaluation and, and offer. And um, it's interesting because he camped at Missouri the week prior, but they didn't offer until about a day after Nebraska ended up pulling the trigger. So yeah, it was nice for the Huskers to get in on the ground floor there. It was also kind of cool to see Daniel Parker hanging out with Carlos and Khalil Davis at the at the camp afterwards they were hanging out inside memorial stadium i know that uh, they went on a tour and everything after the camp was over with and eventually ended up getting that offer so uh, that was that was exciting to see and i think the you know one of the for me one of the big things is how many like big time defensive tackle prospects are right around Lincoln. Uh, when you talk about Daniel Parker in Kansas City, you've got Michael Thompson, Trevor Trout in St. Louis, and then Mastery Maypew. Yeah, and that's a guy that will be at camp this week. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people expect an offer to come uh, to Mastery Maypew by Friday or Saturday. Yeah, so he's going to be, he's just right down the street in York, uh, 6'5", up to almost 290 pounds right now. Uh, just landed an offer from UCLA, which was kind of interesting, at the timing there. But, uh, you know, has really burst onto the scene here lately. And this is a kid who I think has unlimited potential going forward and uh, would not be surprised if he goes ahead and picks up an offer from the Huskers after this Friday Night Lights camp. Yeah, it really is kind of another Malik Collins, Vincent Valentine scenario. Collins was Kansas City. Valentine was the St. Louis, Illinois side of things in Edwardsville or whatever, um, where you can get two quality or, or possibly three or four quality D tackles right in the footprint. And I, I like that. I mean, I think you, when you bring in those kids from the deep, deep south or wherever, there's always that cultural fit that question, can they fit in here culturally? Will they like Nebraska? Where you kind of know a Kansas City, St. Louis, obviously an in-state kid at those positions uh, more often than not, are going to blend in very well at Nebraska. Well, you can get these guys on campus. I think that's the big thing. You, there's connections already built in. You know, with uh, when you're talking about Parker, who's who's friends with and, and is, goes to the same school as the Davis twins, and the Davis twins down there in Blue Springs are. I mean, everyone knows the Davis twins. They they're kind of, they carry a lot of weight and a lot of clout down there. So I think uh, you know that's this is a kid who probably really looks up to the twins and and um, to have to know that they will be there. And, Nebraska, if he decided to go there too, I think is a big draw. You've got Trey Bryant at Nebraska, who is very good friends with Trevor Trout, um, you know, and a couple other St. Louis connections there with with Trout and Michael Thompson. So, and then of course, you know, with Mace, uh, with Mastery Maypew right down the street in York. I mean, these are all guys who that can get on campus. You don't have to fly them halfway across the country to bring them in on a visit. Um, you know, they're, they'll probably be visiting multiple times by the time they they end up signing. So uh, that, that's a really nice situation for Nebraska, especially at defensive tackle, which is a, a position that every team in the country wants to land or needs to land, you know, two or three difference makers in, in pretty much every recruiting class. So to have these guys so close, uh, you know, to your campus is big time. And you look at that footprint, Nate, around the state of Nebraska, you could make a strong case that St. Louis is far and away 
uh, the city right now that has the most to offer for the long term, especially when you look at maybe the competition. You know, because you go into Chicago, obviously there's talent in Chicago, but you've got to go against Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State, everybody in the world goes into Chicago. Where I, like we've talked about this at length, that mm-hmm. St. Louis is kind of you know an open trading market in Nebraska with Trey Bryant now and Javon McQuitty going to Nebraska. Uh, they have a real opportunity. Uh, Kenny Wilhite knows the lay of the land down there, has a lot of connections. Um, he kind of does things behind the scenes for Nebraska, but man, there's an opportunity, especially with Missouri kind of with their campus problems, promoting a coordinator with not much name recognition, that they could go in there and get a lot of these four-star guys for 2018. Well, it's there for the taking. And and when I was at the St. Louis Satellite Camp, I was talking with some parents and some high school coaches who basically said as much. They, they told me that, hey, this is very smart that Nebraska is at the Satellite Camp and that they're starting to come around a lot because – um, you know, with with the way the situation, the way it is there uh, with Missouri going through some change and, and the climate there in Columbia, you know, not being all that great right now, um, you know, and then with the, the coaching change that happened in Illinois, uh, that it's basically, like you said, uh, St. Louis is kind of a open market right now. And, and I think it's very smart for Nebraska to try and uh, make some inroads there and, and firmly plant themselves in that city, and with especially with the talent that's coming up i mean you're you're talking about four or five at least top 250 guys yeah, top 250 and maybe even top eventually top 100 type of guys just in the 2018 class and then you look at the 2019 class and there's a lot of difference makers coming up there too uh, from talking with a high school coach he said that the 2018 and 2019 class could be the best like two of the best classes ever in the St. Louis area. And and really uh, Missouri as a whole for those 2018 and 2019 classes could be two of the deepest classes ever to, to come out there. So uh, this is the time is right uh, right now for the Huskers to, to get in there and, and make a difference, um, really create a presence and, and maybe create some sort of pipeline coming from St. Louis to, to Nebraska at this point. As we wrap it up here with Day Klaus and recruiting talk from camps, um, a lot of attention with in-state stuff. We talked about Mastery Maypu, but uh, let's focus on 2017. Uh, we had Brett Cottrell at camp this week. Um, you, you had um, Patrick Arnold from Gretna uh, also at camp this week as two guys kind of high up on the offer board. Tyler Sheree from Bellevue West had to back out on Monday because of an injury. He's hoping to be back at the June 24th uh, Friday Night Lights camp. Um, but, Nate, uh, I don't know about you. I don't really have a read – what one of these in-state guys, if any, is going to get an offer at this point? It's hard to tell right now because, you know, what, what you really wanted to see was for one of these guys to turn a lot of heads at that big man camp. And and while both players did really well, I don't think that it was a slam dunk. It wasn't quite the performance that you were, were you were hoping to see. Um, you know, I, I think that they're still right on the right on the fence there for that offer. And uh, there's a lot to like about both those guys. But um, right now, I, I think it's hard to, you know, to say that, yeah, this is a no brainer. You got to offer this kid. You got to bring him in. So, um, you know, and, and maybe that will happen here by the end of the camp season. Um, I don't know if, if those guys are planning to come back and, and do one more Friday night light camp or not. But right now, I, I it, you might you might point to Logan Strom as a guy who that could potentially pick up an offer. Or they might just uh, what's his name, Brock Bando. Yeah, or they they might just consider that a guy as an in-state name. Yeah, that's what that was my next uh, that was going to be my next comment is that maybe uh, 
the in-state guy ends up being Brock Bando, who's technically going to school in, in IMG Academy down there in Bradenton, Florida, but uh, is obviously from Lincoln. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, how things kind of shake out there. But uh, there's no question that that I think the staff would like to have more in-state guys. It's just uh, it's just who goes out and gets it. All right. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition. We'll have plenty of camp coverage here over the weekend as Nebraska will have Friday Night Lights camp and then a Big Red weekend event as well. So stay on Husker Online for the latest. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 